Hi everyone, it's Damon Klotz, host of the Culture First podcast. Before we get started, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who's been listening and supporting this show. Whether you've been listening since our first episode back in 2019, or you've just found this episode today, the team here at Culture M appreciate your support. Last year, Culture First was part of Spotify's Wrapped Awards, where we were recognized in the top 5% most followed and most shared podcasts globally. As incredible as that is, I know that there's a lot of people who don't follow or subscribe to the show who are actually listening right now. So if you could give us a follow, subscribe, leave a review on Apple or 5 stars on Spotify, that would mean the world to me and the team. Those little actions help more people find this show and that helps us all create a better world of work. All right, that's enough from me. Let's get started. Culture first. 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 Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Culture First podcast. We have a very unique and special episode in store for you today. This show has always tried to bring you exciting guests. We've talked about the trends that are impacting the world of work, and we try to give you a behind-the-scenes look at culture-first companies and how they operate. This episode is a new style of episode and one that I would love to do more of if you, our audience, like this style. We are going to be analysing the TV shows Ted Lasso and Succession. If you look at the award nominations in Hollywood this year, you'll see that Ted Lasso received 21 Emmy nominations and Succession 27. The reason we're going to be exploring these shows is because they offer a juxtaposition in terms of company culture. Both organisations, Richmond FC and Waystar Royco, succeeded in some form, but how they achieved their goals was very, very different. To help me take a look at the way that these TV workplaces went about things, I'm joined on the show by previous guest Priya Parker, author of The Art of Gathering. Priya compares these two starkly different management styles and breaks down for us what we can learn from how they gather and how they use or abuse power. And then after that, I'm stoked to say that we're going to be hearing from Gary Ware. Gary is a Culture First chapter lead volunteer for Culture Amp and he's based in San Diego. He's a facilitator and a master improv teacher. Gary is a Ted Lasso stan. You'll learn that his wife actually made him his own belief poster that he has up in his office, which is just incredible. Gary and I are going to be deep diving into what Ted Lasso as a leader taught us across the entire three seasons of that show. All right, let's head over to my conversation with the author responsible for showing us all how to run a meeting that actually matters, Priya Parker. So I won't do too many spoilers, but I wanted to maybe use these two workplaces as examples because I kind of see Ted Lasso as a show where the implicit is explicit, where they make room for important conversations in the workplace. And Succession on the other side is like a show dedicated to allowing watchers to be a fly on the wall where these gatherings of all sizes take place (laughs) that seem to be lacking hosts. It's a constant battle for authority and there's no clear purpose. Totally. What have you found fascinating maybe about those shows and their respective company cultures when it comes to gathering? I mean, this is an awesome question. Thank you for asking it. Um, What a lovely, lovely invitation. So I actually think the foil of these two shows is, is such an astute comparison. And in a sense, in Ted Lasso, I think the ways that he gathers... I think he's doing a couple of different things as a character. And I apologize, just given our time, I won't summarize what the show's about. I mean, I guess it's basically an American coach who is brought in to kind of pull together this British football team. And one of the things that I see him doing again and again is, first of all, I think the qualities as a host of what Ted Lasso is doing. One is he is seeing each of his guests. And his guests being his, his football players, his soccer players. He is noticing each one. He's seeing what their needs are. He's telling them why they're there and what their deepest purpose and their values actually should be. He is 
elevating. Like I'll, I'll just, I'll analyze a couple of scenes that I thought were so interesting. So and now it's been a while since I saw season one, but he has a, I think he's Pakistani kind of assistant coach. And at sort of one point of the season, okay, spoiler alerts, because I don't know how to analyze this if we don't actually talk about what happens. But yep. um, massive, massive spoiler alerts, <laughs> pause now. So there's this one scene where the assistant coach is basically saying like, hey, I, I wrote up some thoughts about each player. I think this is what you should tell them. And Ted Lasso first sees that there's merit Right. In a sense, he's his his assistant coaches are sub hosts. Technically, they have less power than he does as a head host. And he's empowering. He sees that his sub host is able to see a need in the group. And rather than doing it himself, he's pushing out his authority. He's sharing his authority to elevate the status of the junior coach. And he says, you do it. And then there's this Mm -hmm. beautiful scene where this, you know, previously kind of quiet, and under the previous regime, water boy, like, you know, he was like in charge of the thermoses and refilling water cups, elevates and is able to, I mean, it's an interesting example where he basically goes around to every single player and he both says like what what they're doing that works and then he flips it and he basically calls them out on some element of their attitude or some element that's not working. And if you watch that scene, he builds energy in the group by both honoring and seeing what each person's doing and then embodies transgression, which is he's like, if you, you know, I can't remember exactly what he says, but for each person, he kind of insults them. But in that cultural context, that actually builds currency for the dweeby assistant coach and makes people realize like, oh my gosh, you're seeing me, you're seeing my behavior, I'm being watched, I'm being, and he, in each of those moments, the insults are equitable. And I'm being a little facetious here, but there's a love in that, which is like every single person is being seen and like loved on and judged to improve. And I would say there's a second scene that I think is beautiful where Ted Lasso, this really is a a spoiler alert. He has to figure out how to remove the curse, right? Of the, of the soccer team. And he basically invents and makes up this ritual that is pretty profound to basically remove the curse of what happened to set that curse. And everybody has to bring at midnight, in the dark, at a you know, strange time of day, with risk, everybody has to bring a sacrifice, like an object of sacrifice that really means something to them. And on one hand, the story and the narrative, so there's a structure, there's, there's equal participation, there's a belief that's shared and explained to say to relieve this curse, we actually each have to bring something that matters to us and burn it. But then while each person is willing to go and show their object, they have to explain why they love the object that they have. This is my mother died and this is the last thing she gave to me. My cousin wasn't able to be a football player and this is, you know, and so this, so the fact that I'm here and he's there means so much to me. And through the structure of the ritual, they're building the body of the group and they're building psychological safety because they're each sharing a part of themselves in a way that then they're saying, I am, interested in the release of this spell and I'm going to burn this thing that means something to me. And through that sacrificial ritual, they die and then they're reborn, right? Metaphorically as a team. And, and Ted Lasso and the writers of that show, I think in so many ways, first show a very different type of a host through embodying the values he hopes to create in his team. But there's a lot of thoughtful, invisible structure that I think as a coach, he keeps seeing and assessing with his assistant coaches, what's the need now? What, where are the players at? What is it that we need to do in order to begin to shift what this group is and can be? How was that? <laughs> that was amazing. I feel like we could have done the whole episode just analyzing Ted Lasso and the other gathering. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, you're, 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 you're asking the right questions because clearly I'm, I'm like, this is so interesting. (laughs) And then succession, you're totally right. It's the foil. It's all authority. It's all status. It's power consolidation in the father. And then he sets up, I mean, he's a leader of chaos. He sets up within his family structure and then within his company structure, fear and loathing but in part ambivalence, right? It's like Joe Freeman, the feminist scholar, wrote this beautiful essay in the 70s or 80s called The Tyranny of Structurelessness. Mm. And part of Roy Sr.'s power 
is the tyranny of structurelessness and the tyranny of ambivalence. And he's able to maintain his power and status because he keeps everybody else off balance. Right. And in some cases, in different seasons, he turns up the volume so much that it's just cruel. Yeah. And so explicit and these kind of hazing rituals of cruelty. There's deep ritual and deep codes in that family system when they gather, whether it's around the Thanksgiving dinner or whether it's in their private airplane or their private jet. And the codes are basically that there is an authority figure and one does not fully know what might happen. And each person basically feels deeply unsafe and knows that power in that system is proximity to the source in that moment. And in some ways I frame succession as being this foil because I feel like maybe there isn't structure or power, but I think they're actually like what you brought up is that Logan Roy does actually think deeply about the container and he gives everyone this false sense of hope that they could be a co-host, that they could be the person who gets to like design the container with him. But like you said, like he's sort of like a master evil facilitator in so many ways because he knows how to play all these people against each other that can that allows him to continue to always have the power. Absolutely. And I think, you know, earlier I I said people think I'm about gathering more. I think similarly gathering is not good in and of itself. Gathering is a tool. It can be used for good, it can be used for evil. It can be used to make people feel connected, it can be made people to feel isolated. Mm-hmm. And gathering is a form of power. And with that power comes responsibility and care. And some of the greatest evil dictators in history were phenomenal gatherers. And so I don't come into this with a naive lens, that, but I do come into it by saying that it goes back to our earlier conversation. It's like by wishing power away, you're doing no one any favors. We need to begin to understand how power is going to manifest in the groups that we are gathering and protect our guests and connect them and temporarily equalize them and think about what it actually looks like in a very practical way to create gatherings that allow uh, you know people to be seen and safe and then do their best work. I mean, gathering well is also an extraordinary process for creativity, for collaboration, for breakthrough science. It's not just about how you're making people feel. It's also about what human beings are able to discover and to build when they're able to interact in ways that are fruitful. Thank you to Priya for joining me on the Culture First podcast. You could see from the way Priya had thought so deeply about these two shows that the characters and workplaces we see on TV really gives us a great platform to reflect on the behaviours that we're trying to foster and maybe not foster inside of Culture First companies. In the second part of this episode, I thought I should bring in a friend of the show to really geek out on all things Ted Lasso. So now let's head over to my chat with Gary, where we're going to learn what does Ted Lasso the leader teach us? So when I was in the research and writing phase of this episode, I knew that there was a special guest that I wanted to invite on. Now, this is someone who is a very important member of our Culture First community. This is also someone that I've had the pleasure of sharing a stage with. Gary, welcome to the Culture First podcast. David, hey, so happy to be here. So we're going to be chatting today about your learnings from the show Ted Lasso, uh, one that I know you're a big fan on. Uh, If people are looking at any of this video content, they'll probably see your sign up there that says Believe, which is probably making many Ted Lasso stands very jealous. In order to set the scene for the people listening, if I find out information about you online, I'll learn that you're a facilitator, you're a keynote speaker, you're an author, you're a dad, you're an improv teacher. But let's imagine that a curious 10-year-old walks up to you, doesn't know any of that and just says, excuse me, what do you do for work? How do you answer? Yeah, I would look that little kiddo in the eye and I say that I help grown-ups be the best version of themselves using play. And they would probably look at me and say, what are you talking about? Play? Shouldn't all grown-ups play? Or, you know, they might be like my niece and say, I thought only kids play. And I'll say, well, guess what? <laughs> grown-ups can play too, and they should play. And so, yeah, that's what I would say. They might see you as this kind of like interesting school teacher for adults who keeps adults connected to what it means to learn how to be curious and play. Yes. Oh, I love that. Ooh, <laughs> there's something there. But yes, that's exactly it. You know, helping helping adults relearn what it's like to be a kid again. So before we dive into your experience with the show, Ted Lasso, I guess the reason I wanted to bring you 
on as part of this episode, like I said, is that, you know, you are a special part of this culture first community. You're a culture first chapter lead. You've joined me on stage at culture first events. Maybe I just might want to start with how did you find this community? What was it like when you first found this community and what does it mean to be part of it? Yeah, I found it actually serendipitously. It was, you know, when you really need something, things just happen to pop up. Being a facilitator, being a trainer and all the things that I do, it wasn't what I went to school for. I actually went to school for marketing and communication. And when I found the community, it was when I was pivoting in my career. It was after a business relationship went south and I was at this point where I'm like, what do I do next? And then I decided, yes, I wanted to be a facilitator. I want to shift cultures so that other people don't have to end up in a situation like me uh, with a failed business relationship and, and all that other stuff. And I was like, I wonder if there is community like that because in my previous career, that was everything. Like I was tied into any sort of community that was about marketing and whatnot. And that had been a blessing. And Lo and behold, the moment I like sort of put that out into existence, I was fortunate enough to get connected to Culture Craig on LinkedIn. And he was talking about this thing, you know, called Culture First and this community about, you know, making the world of work, you know, better and actually taking action to do that. And I was like, that's what I'm looking for. And so, uh, you know, we, we connected and a few missed opportunities for us to actually connect in person. And then the pandemic hit. And chapter lead Emily Goodson was in LA and uh, was moving to San Diego. And then that's where Craig said, hey, you need to talk to this guy, Gary. He's interested. And then the rest is, is history. And it's been like three plus years or so. Amazing. I always love these stories of how people have found their group when they needed to find a group. And I feel like that is a, and, you know, for anyone who's listening to this show, you know, you might know Culture First is like a podcast that you can just listen to and you just absorb information and that's great. But there's this other layer to this Culture First world that Culture Ant really curates, which is where people are in conversation and community with each other, that they're attending these chapter events. So I just want to open the invitation to people if you want to go deeper, if you feel like you're at a bit of a crossroads, if you're looking for a moment where you're like, I feel like there's a conversation I need to have either with myself or with others, then People like Gary and Emily and other good friends at CultureAmp are, are running great spaces. So just want to firstly say we really appreciate everything you do for the Culture First community and all of the magic that you bring to it. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. So with, in this episode, we're really looking at Ted Lasso versus like Logan Roy succession versus Ted Lasso, the polar opposites. And somehow there's a little bit of through line between these types of cultures and companies and our learnings from them. So I guess in order to set up why I've invited you on. How did you first find Ted Lasso? What was your experience the first time you sort of saw the show? What was it about it that really kind of like stuck out to you that you're like, well, this is, this is different. Yeah. So Ted Lasso is on Apple plus, uh, it's on a platform that you need a subscription to be able to access. And at the time I had heard about it through some friends, I didn't have an Apple plus subscription and it was after like the fourth person that, said, Gary, you watch Ted Lasso, right? I was like, no, I I don't. Um, I was like, but everyone keeps thinking that I do. I probably should, (laughs) I probably should do it. And I, and I asked a friend, a really good friend, matter of fact, he was an employee of mine that worked at that, um, digital marketing agency that I ended up splitting ties with my business partner and that employee had since left too. And so we have a really good uh, rapport, really good relationship. And he said, he just reminded me of you as as a leader when we worked together. And I was like, you know, and, and he was talking about how he's all about positivity and this that, and the other. And I was like, okay, I, that seems like right up my alley. And then again, when it came out, it was like the perfect time where I felt like it was late 2021 or so. And so the world at large, we're in this pandemic, we're at home and in the US where I'm currently located, there's, you know, a lot of toxic masculinity and cultures that aren't necessarily the best to be around. So I was looking for something positive, you know, just to like sort of escape in for a little bit. And so uh, my wife was gone with my son uh, to visit her family. So I had a long weekend, nothing to do. I got a trial for Apple Plus, and I binge watched like the whole first season. And I didn't intend to. 
I just wanted to watch the first episode. What is this about? Mm. And I got sucked in. And I was like, oh, this is good. <laughs> Were you a football fan at all? Or did you learn to appreciate football through the show? I was. I grew up playing football, or as in here in the uh, U.S., we call it soccer. And so familiar with the Premier League. And it was great to see that sort of tie-in to that. But at the same time, realize that this is an episode that is about like an office environment that happens to be centered around like football. (laughs) I think it's one of the big trends that we've seen and you know the reason that we're focusing on TV shows is because there has been this kind of pull towards sport as a learning mechanism for performance and culture. When you think about like the amount of brand new Formula One fans due to Drive to Survive or the, the golf craze that's happening right now because you know Netflix is now a golf documentary and we're learning about performance, coaching, what it means to succeed, mental health. And I think Ted Lasso was kind of like the scripted version of this fascination that we're currently having with sport. So I'm really excited that we're getting a chance to kind of talk about how these things are playing out and what's happening inside of the workplace um, in terms of some of these learnings. And I do should probably caveat all of this that there's massive spoiler alerts that we're going to be sharing in, in terms of this. So if you're like, oh, this sounds great, got to go watch the show. This is one of the few times I'll tell you, like, stop listening to the podcast and like actually probably go watch the show first. And um, Apple t- Apple TV can get a, a sponsored spot maybe on, on this episode because we're, we're plugging it here. But there has been a little bit of analysis on, I guess, the different seasons. Um, in terms of Ted Lasso, we're sort of season one coming out kind of accidentally from their side in the height of a, a lot of people's pandemic experience where it was like, this is still happening and I don't know when it's going to end. So basically it was ended up being like a pick-me-up that we all, all kind of needed because season one was about like deep positivity. And then season two kind of was a bit of a bit, bit of a gut punch and a reality check and it was like a little bit like, oh my God, this is going a little bit dark and it's all about like empathy and like vulnerability and how we're checking in. And then season three like was on a spiritual journey of like happiness and like what does it even mean to be happy? That's kind of what I picked up on from it. Is that how you kind of saw the season sort of play out in terms of your experience with it? Yes. And I also, because I knew it was a three season arc, I sort of saw it like Star Wars mm. where like, the original trilogy where like the first season was like a new hope is like, you know, the call to action, you know, we see our hero go, you know, on this hero's journey and then the empire strikes back. You have this big twist and like the dark side is like sort of revealed. And then your return of the Jedi, like sort of like bringing it all home. But I, I like how you mentioned, especially in season three, you know, the focus on happiness because there's so many of those themes that you see throughout season three of what are the things that people do that are, are going to bring them happiness? And sometimes is at odds with the things that we think that we should be doing, like, you know, our pursuit for money and, and, and greatness and, and whatnot. Now, I know you get access to, and also the, the Star Wars references, um, I, I have a feeling that maybe that Sudeikis and the team might have sort of tried to put some of that in there. I, I know they have an incredible writing team. We thought deeply about that. So I'll have to do a little bit more research to see if, if there's been any articles written with those two parallels. But you get access to a lot of leaders. You're working directly with leaders. You're having leaders come to you maybe with a set leadership style that they already have or one that they're trying to emerge into. Based on what you've seen from the character Ted Lasso, how would you describe his leadership style? Is there a certain style of leadership or of certain words you would associate with how we saw him? Yeah, the first word that comes to mind that I've been hearing a lot of lately is servant leadership. You know, someone that their main job is to serve the people in their care. They may not be seen as the expert per se, but they have the ability to get everyone sort of marching in the right direction. And I, and I see that a lot in, in Ted, in that he's, in, like, he's amazing with details. He can listen very deeply. He understands, like, he has amazing EQ, emotional intelligence, and the ability to make decisions that, you know, sometimes they're not easy decisions. And so, yeah, that's the leadership style I see in Ted. Yeah, certainly one that I think people have been writing a lot about is this idea that he understands the system that he's part of and also what his role is. What decisions and behaviours should I be embodying in order to get 
great things out of other people in that sort of servant leadership style. When I was reflecting on this, there was a couple of different things that I've sort of really observed in terms of behaviours or styles from Ted, but maybe I might start with you. Are there a couple of key leadership lessons that you've sort of really thought about from watching this show that you would like to share with people? Yeah, one of the big ones is all about courage and vulnerability. Ted, it's no spoiler that the setup is that he comes from the U.S., He is a football, American football coach, and he is put into his role. It was almost like as a joke because Rebecca, who, you know, got ownership of the team through a divorce, wanted to ruin, you know, ruin her uh, ex-husband's lives by, you know, putting this uh, American into this position and and hopefully everything crumbles and and, and whatnot. And, And Ted, like you mentioned, like he knows his part in the system and he is very upfront. He's, he's like very vulnerable and he shows that upfront that, hey, look, I don't know this. I don't, I don't know the, the rules of the sport. I'm learning this. And that, in my opinion, is a new age way of leadership because I feel like the old regime is like you get a leader that has decades of experience who's done it a very specific way and is going to tell you exactly what you need to do and there's no way of interpretation. Um, and, you know, Ted coming in and just being straightforward, I feel like that starts to build trust out of the gates. Um, and that's what we need. We need psychological safety so that people can start to be the best version of themselves. So that's the first thing that I noticed. Um, and yeah, I'll pause with that. Culture first means culture amp. I'm Didier Elzinga, co-founder and CEO. Together with thousands of customers around the globe, we're co-creating a better world of work. That means enabling leaders to drive their most impressive performance outcomes with real-time insights, data, and predictions. Our podcast is called Culture First because when you get culture right, your business succeeds at a rate never thought possible. Join us at cultureamp.com to see what it's all about. Yeah, I think some of the words that were kind of, I guess, coming up when you were sharing some of this in terms of what would you like a leader to be or how, like, what sort of a leader would you like to work with? You know, you were talking about one that knows how to be vulnerable, one that knows how to acknowledge the need for support. I kind of saw that a lot in season two was this, it's, it's one thing to be vulnerable as a leader, it's another thing to be vulnerable and then also be willing to commit to action for change. So I sort of feel like that was one of the things there. You touched on like ability to make hard decisions and ones that go against the grain. And I could think of an example of when he pulled off the best player on the team, Jamie Tart, because Jamie Tart didn't listen to the, you know, he basically broke the system. They were trying to do something as a system. They were trying to do something as a collective and Jamie Tart went against it and he took him off, even though no coach in their right mind takes off Cristiano Ronaldo or Leo Messi, but regardless of what they do. And he was willing to make some of those decisions. You're right. Like normally the school of thought is this is the best player. Mm. Yes, they're a wild card. However, they get goals. And if we bring this back again to like at work and team environments, that often happens a lot. Like maybe there's a salesperson that generates lots of revenue for the organization and they probably don't, you know, maybe they don't have the best attitude. Maybe they do some things that aren't conducive of the values of the company, but yet they're bringing in revenue. So, uh, you know, we, we sort of overlook some of those things because you know, as a company, the company, you know, even though they may value authenticity, they, you know, they need to bring in revenue. Yeah. Well, that, again, is an old way of thinking. And that can only get you so far. <laughs> and it's going to, you know, in the long run, is going to start to poison the, you know, the, the company as far as the culture, if you don't sort of nip that right off the bat. No, definitely. There is certainly in my experience working in Silicon Valley, there was sort of a certain uh, style of company that would have policies around like, we don't tolerate brilliant, terrible people. They have more direct language when they talk about that. But, yep. you know, I think it is it is hard, especially I think in times of economic distress, when like short term wins are so important in order to maybe keep runway or keep the company going. But in order to play a little bit of a longer game, it kind of reminds me of the podcast episode with Simon Sinek, who kind of was like, he, he, you know, he told me, he's like, Damon, I'm an optimist and I always believe that if we can look at this thing with a little bit of a, you know, what he was talking about, a longer term view, the infinite game, finite games are only going to get us so far if we're willing to look at this. And, you know, um, I think it's a good question to ask of leaders is like, 
how long in advance are you willing to plan for? How long are you willing to try this system in order to succeed? You know, if you're joining a, a startup, it's like, do you have a three-year plan and then you want to be acquired or is this like a 100-year organization that you're trying to build and actually understand their leadership style in terms of the system that they're going to build around it in order to achieve that goal? One of the other things that I think was really um, present throughout this show and it kind of was in contrast with another character, which is this idea of authenticity. So the character Nate starts off as someone who is uh, clearly lacking in psychological safety inside of that culture, doesn't feel like he has any real role to perform outside of tasks that even he second guesses himself on. We see him emerge as a character who then has a leader who says, I trust you and I, I want your opinion and create safety. And we see his authentic side come out. And then there's this huge pivot where he basically changes his entire persona in order to achieve success. And we see how it really eats at him as a person. And then we sort of see Ted, on the other hand, sticking to his authentic self even when the team doesn't do well, which would make you think when the team doesn't perform well, maybe you need to change something. So I wonder if you had any reflections on, I guess, authenticity through and how it can kind of play out in terms of when things are going well versus when things are not going well. It goes back to the long game, what you mentioned, the infinite game that Simon Sinek talks about. And so I had, um, man, probably about a decade ago, I worked for this uh, startup digital marketing company and I had a superior that was just like uh, Nate's character, where you can tell that the actions that they were making were just, you know, they were game plays to help them succeed. But there was maybe some insecurities or some things there, you know, not allowing people to get close to them. And, you know, yes, on paper, they they started doing well. But then the trust started to erode after a while because this company thought that after four years, they would be done and acquired and whatnot. And so I think the person, that's what they were, they're like, you know what? I didn't need to last for four years. <laughs> then, you know, then we get the, the buyout, we're out, mm -hmm. but we're on year six, we're on year seven. And people are starting to lose trust in this person because of, you know, just the, the vibe that they're putting off, um, how they are um, doing things for their own gain and, you know, sacrificing other people a lot like how Nate was they're belittling people and and again you know the company as a whole we're, we're doing well but we have another leader who it's so funny he had been authentic from day one and his ideas weren't necessarily the most ideas that people like because it required sacrifice mm. uh and it was something where you just had to trust the unknown and and like it wasn't like an immediate upside in revenue and in the beginning that other leader used to belittle him saying like oh my god th this guy doesn't know what he's talking about yada 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 but he stayed true to himself and at the end of the day when <laughs> after the three years and we hit the sort of dip and we had to sort of climb out of that Everyone was looking that at that other boss and was like, "I think he knows what he's what he's talking about," and and he stayed consistent. Mm. And so I feel like the lesson again, bringing it back to to Ted Lasso, is a lot of this stuff. To be honest, is a crapshoot. You could uh, be a jerk and and be successful, or you could be a jerk and not be successful. You could be really authentic and, and supportive, and you know have upside and you know. And there's a lot of things that are outside of our control. But at the end of the day, it goes back to the Maya Angelou quote, you know, uh, people will remember how you made them feel. <laughs> they won't necessarily remember the things that you said to them. So for me, I, you know, and maybe it's because I live in Southern California and, you know, we're, we're sort of like that, you know what, peace, love, you know, and all that other stuff. But I believe if you could take care of people and, again, follow more of how Ted is and, and you know, be your authentic self, whatever that is. It's going, to, it's going to pay dividends. It might not at first. Yep. I think the way that I really picked up on that was like that consistency. That yeah. like even it's like, you know, in order to trust sometimes the only way that you can sort of trust someone is by trusting someone. Yeah. Like there's like there's nothing I can do or say right, right now to make you trust me more. But what I'm willing to do is be myself, be consistent and like take you on, on this journey and that consistency helps people navigate the unknown. 
There is, I think it'd be really remiss of me to not talk about this word because when I associate this word in the workplace, I do think of you. So the word play and listeners are going to also hear from Priya Parker and and she's going to be talking about these two shows and I guess the role of ritual and gathering and kind of how we can also think about this idea that symbols really impact our experience as well, the use of symbols. Given that in, you know, um, that she sort of spoke about the, the gathering element of it, I would love to maybe hear your assessment on how you saw play in the culture of Richmond Football Club. Yeah. For me, play is, is yes, action. We can do things and it's, we're playing, playing a game, we're doing things, but it's also a way of being, playfulness. And that is one of the things that I started to see throughout, like, Take, for example, in in season three, when ideally, you know, Richmond should probably be doubling down on practice. You know, they're they're ranked, you know, at the bottom. You know, they're not necessarily doing that well. And Ted realized, like, no, you know, let's take a moment, you know, and let's do something else. That's when he takes them into the sewers. And then it ended up sort of backfiring on them because there's a shot, you know, uh, a shot of them going to the sewers. And then, you know, they got made fun of even more. But again, that whole thing of realizing that it's more than just doing the work. It's all about like, hey, how can we create an experience? How can we, as uh, Pierre mentioned, what are the rituals that are going to bring us together so that we can grow? And it's more than just the work. And I saw that time and time again, you know, where they would do things that would be a little bit seen as unconventional, but yet there's learning lessons and, and thinking about play and playing there. There's so much growth that happens. If you think about any sort of activity where you're in this state of play, you know, uh, others would say a state of flow, like you're, you're getting real time feedback and you are seeing obstacles as opportunities. Whereas, you know, sometimes if, if you're just in that sort of work and grind, you don't get that growth. You don't get that camaraderie. And it, if you look at sort of the journey of how that played out, at season one, you know, it's the team not doing too well, really not in cohesion with each other and not even understanding how to be part of, of a system. If you, and massive spoiler alert, if you go to like the final episodes of season three and how much of a culture they've created and a sense of play, the way that they acknowledge Ted for his work through the musical. Yes. Like that is play, that is connection, that is trust, that is working as a system. They all knew their parts. Like that also teaches you how to be a good football team by understanding how to actually put on a show. So did you have any reactions when you saw that? Yeah, I did. And and, uh, Sound of Music is one of my favorite musicals uh, of all time. Um, Anyways, so there's that. But it's a great, again, finale Mm. of bringing everything together and to see the growth of everyone on the team. And you're absolutely right. In the beginning, it's very ironic because they're playing a sport, but yet they're not playful it's very rigid it's very you know eye for an eye very individual but then you know the arc again you know it goes in and then they get to the point where like what you said like when people are under stress they might have like sort of flip-flop but they realized no let's let's stay the course we want to do this and you can see this in some of the actual game you know scenes in there where towards the end of the series again jamie tart one of the best players on the team in theory he should be doing these things. He should be taking free kicks and stuff like that. But the fact that he wants to pass this on to someone else, and that one is a great art for that character, Jamie Tart, because in the beginning, he was very, no, me, me, me. Like in the first season, he would go and score goals and he would be chanting for himself and whatnot. And to see him learn how to be a team player and to have empathy and want to share, like, oh man, it, it just, it's awesome. I think we could do a whole nother episode of like the arc of Jamie Tart. And um, I've seen interviews where they actually tried to match his persona to his hairstyle and like the different, basically his hair had to change based on the types of Premier League players that they were trying to emulate. Yeah. And uh, he ended season three with like the Jack Grealish hair and Jack Grealish is a player who, <laughs> who you know, many people scolded for like joining for one of the biggest transfer fees ever, leaving his boyhood club Aston Villa to go to Man City and saying that he's a waste of money, he's no, not talented, doesn't fit the system and arguably was key to what, as a Chelsea fan, is really hard to admit, but one of the greatest seasons ever for a football team that Man City just pulled off. Yeah. No, agreed. And all those like subtleties, like the, the writers, they... they Definitely did their homework and they would have like these little Easter eggs in there and, and all that stuff. And yeah, I, I, I agree. 
hundred percent. But yeah. So I've got two last questions that I want to, um, and we're going to we're going to close on something that I think is really nice about Ted as a character. But before we get the niceness of Ted, let's go and use this foil that I'm using. In order for Ted to be great, we need some sort of darkness on the other side that makes him shine so much. And that and that sort of contrast I'm using is the character from Succession, Logan Roy. So. In Succession, that main character, for those who aren't too familiar, you know, Logan Roy is a a media titan. He's built this incredible company from scratch. It's based upon many different family-owned media conglomerates that we're all familiar with. And he makes a lot of tough decisions. And he makes tough decisions and it feels like without much regard for opinions or perspectives of others. And his unilateral decision-making ends up having a really big effect on the company's long-term success. Whereas... Ted has like, in, you know, created something like the Diamond Dogs right. in order to like solve personal and professional problems. It's like we're all in this together, and I think there's something like the whole Diamond Dogs things is beautiful. I think we all need people in our corner. But I wonder if there is something you saw about the leadership style of Logan of being incredibly direct and action orientated that you actually see is something that helps us working with leaders who do see the world a little bit like straight down the line like that. Yeah. I think it's a um, that's a super exaggeration, right? That is, and people will see that and they'll say, "See, look at that!" That like as an excuse to to have that sort of behavior. Now, the things that we can emulate decisiveness mm-hmm. as a leader, you have to do. And sometimes you're by yourself and you have to make these decisions. That I totally get it. It's it's the things where when we start to lose the humanity, you know, because. If you ask someone, what does it mean to be assertive? If you ask someone who's not very assertive, they would see someone as assertive as being aggressive. And what I mean by assertive, if an assertive person is someone who can be very straightforward and, and speak their mind, and they respect the humanity of themselves and then the other person. Someone that's aggressive is going to make decisions, and they don't care about the humanity of the other person. You know, they, they, they don't mind. You know, they don't care if they have to belittle someone or whatever to to get whatever's needed. And I feel like that's the extreme. So what I see like in someone like Logan is like, yeah, the ability to make a decision. Decisions are hard. And to like just own it. Like this is what we're going to do. And sometimes you have to do that as a leader. And can we do this while also respecting the others around us? Which was definitely something that Logan didn't really like. He had no issues with firing people who had been in his company for 25 years and just He's like, it's not working. Get rid of them. No, no empathy towards it. No, like, thank you for your time. No ritual around it. Like, you know, and, but there is also, I think, and, you know, given the, you know, we're having this conversation where where the world from an economic perspective is very different from like the last 10 to 15 years of deep prosperity and where everything was just up and to the right. Decisions do need to be made. Hard decisions do need to be made. But there's a way to do this with humanity through deep um, empathy, great communication, and sort of taking people on that journey with you, which I think is one of the big lessons from Ted. So as we round up this little analysis on Ted Lasso, my final thought is I did watch this interview where I saw the football pundit and former Manchester United player Gary Neville. He was interviewing Jason Sudeikis, the show co-creator and um, person who plays Ted Lasso. And he said that for Ted Lasso to be realistic, then he needs to be sacked because Premier League managers don't last that long. You know, they're under intense pressure. And I think what was interesting about this show, like you said, over this kind of like Star Wars three episode arc is we do see Ted progress from imposter to then someone under deep amounts of pressure but then rather than fire them which is a typical premier league style and you know i support chelsea who likes to fire people for fun we've had more managers than i can probably nearly years i've been alive um, over my course of my time as a fan but um by giving him time i guess what we see which is very different is that he he does find happiness his element high performance the team also is able to ironically have succession, which is the show that we're using to kind of contrast it, is, is that there is a succession plan in place in Ted Lasso. So I wonder if there's any closing remarks that you kind of have on what that show has taught us about giving leaders time, understanding that we're a part of a system and any kind of closing thoughts for any of the other Ted Lasso stands out there. Yeah. So one thing with that, thinking about leaders, if you're honest with yourself, 
there's a specific leader for a specific, you know, sort of part uh, in an organization. And sometimes as a leader, your time has come. But often we, for whatever reason, we don't necessarily, you know, want to, you know, realize that ourselves for, you know, or as an organization, we don't want to, you know, we, well, we like them. And so on the secession thing, I know that, uh, you know, with, with Ted Lasso, he realized like he did what he needed to do and it was his time, you know, to go now. And again, with the show, I know as fans of it, like we, we loved living in that universe and, and to see it go by after, you know, three seasons, it's you know very heartbreaking, but in all the interviews, they said to keep going would do, would be a disrespect, you know, for, for the series and whatnot. And again, bringing it back to leadership, sometimes we have to realize when our time is up and there is someone that I admire deeply. His name is Will Reynolds. He runs an agency called Seer Interactive. He started it 20 plus years ago in his uh, garage and he grew it to a multi-billion dollar organization, multiple offices all over the U.S. and hundreds of employees. And it got to a point where he realized that he was not the CEO that the company needed to get to the next level. And he sacked himself. <laughs> he demoted himself to like VP of innovation and he brought in another CEO. Uh, and that, I have the utmost respect for him to, to have that sort of self-awareness to realize like, we need someone else. And so I feel like uh, from a leader, you should you know always be checking in to find out like, is this still the right thing for me? Am I still growing? Am I still helping other people grow or is it time for something else which i think is one of the reasons these two shows marry so well together when you analyze them is because they both have uh workforce planning as a as part of it right it's like who do we bring in who succeeds them how does this work how do we know when to pass the baton over to someone else and are we going to do it in a way where the next person can be set up for success and that we've done a really good job of thinking about this or are we going to hold on till the bitter end and then cause absolute chaos and watch it burn? So big spoiler alerts for uh, both shows there, but for those who know, you know. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Gary, really appreciate you as a Culture First chapter lead, as someone who has a lot of passion and expertise for this. Your amazing wife has that belief sign behind you, which is incredible. Just want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing some of your thoughts and reflections. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much, Damon. I want to acknowledge you for being such an amazing host, uh, holding space. Uh, I feel very taken care of and yeah, I appreciate it. Amazing. Thank you to Gary Ware for joining me today on the Culture First podcast. Accessing conversations about our workplaces through made-up characters and storylines feels like a gentle entry point or a softer touch because it feels immediately relatable to everyone who's watched it, obviously. And it's not too close to home because it's not actually real, even though maybe we wish we could support Richmond FC in real life and maybe we don't wish that a place like Waste Heroico actually exists. So because it's not real, we're not singling out real people when we're talking about these less than desirable workplace behaviors. I think that really struck me when Priya thanked me so authentically for daring to ask her a question about these shows, instead of maybe the typical questions that she might get during an interview or when being sort of spoken to in the media or things like that. You could see that like she physically sort of changed and the energy changed. And I loved how she really relished the opportunity to think on the spot and apply her years of experience and knowledge to really pulling apart these make-believe workplace cultures. And then on top of that, what an amazing conversation I had with Gary. Just listen to what he says about the importance of care one more time. I believe if you could take care of people and again, follow more of how Ted is and, and, you know, be your authentic self, whatever that is, it's going to pay dividends. We want each of these episodes to leave you not only inspired by the stories that you hear, but also with really clear actions that you can take away. So here are a few suggestions that I think can make your company culture and employee experience 10% better. If you're an individual contributor Maybe you can sit down and conduct an audit of all of the gatherings that you are currently in as a participant and ask yourself, do you have clarity for why you're gathering? Do you know the role that you're supposed to be playing within that meeting? I think it's a really important moment, especially if you've been at a company for a while, to look at your calendar, look at the type of gatherings that are taking place and ask yourself, has the purpose changed over time and am I still clear on the role that I'm supposed to be playing? 
bringing that up with their manager is a really powerful conversation to have to make sure that you're being rewarded and recognized for working on the right things and spending your time really efficiently. If you're a manager who's listening, think about your role as a generous host and do an analysis on how power is showing up inside of the gatherings that you're leading. Are people conversing in a way that's more like a Ted Lasso style culture where it's all about the community and the way people are sort of in this collective together? Or do you feel like maybe it's by accident or by design that there is some meetings where there's too many Logan Roy's in the room, that it's just a really a big power struggle? As a manager, you really need to think about your role as a generous host. And are you being clear on the expectations and the type of gatherings and culture that you're trying to create within your team? Now, finally, for a company, I know this one can be a little bit harder, but if you have if you have responsibility for a company, a company strategy, whether you're a CEO, maybe you're a chief people officer, whatever role you play as a company builder, I want you to think of these two things that I think are really like that stand out to me personally from what I witnessed in the TV shows Ted Lasso and Succession. And it's the role of symbols. Think about Richmond FC and the symbology that they use around the word believe and the poster. They use symbols and even the way they gather through things like, you know, the idea of the diamond dogs. Symbols and rituals are so clear in the culture that they're building there. So reflect on the types of symbols that are playing out in your own company storytelling. When it comes to your mission, your vision and your values, how clear are the symbols as well as the words that you're using in order to take all of your employees on that journey with you? To the creators and writers of both shows, Ted Lasso and Succession, a massive thank you for bringing us such incredible stories that helped us learn important and sometimes truly beautiful lessons about humanity in the workplace. I had a lot of fun exploring the juxtaposition of these two made-up workplaces and I would love to know, what did you think of this new style of episode? I would love to do more of them if you're into them. And maybe there's a workplace that you're streaming or binging right now that you'd love us to dissect. You can reach out to me at Damon Klotz or on email podcast at cultureamp.com anytime with TV suggestions, questions that you would like answered based on some of the content we've been sharing and guests that you would love to hear from. I've been your host, Damon Klotz, and the Culture First podcast is brought to you by the team here at CultureAmp, the world's leading employee experience platform. Learn more about CultureAmp by heading to cultureamp.com. We believe in creating a better world of work. If that's important to you too, then please subscribe and leave us a review to make sure that you don't miss a single episode and that more people can be part of this Culture First community that we're building together where we're trying to share stories that inspire us all to create a better world of work.